Well, welcome everybody as we uh, discontinue in the By Faith series. And today I want to tell you just two stories really, one taken from the Bible and one taken from history. When I was a younger Christian, I just loved reading biographies, autobiographies about great men and women who had really achieved uh, wonderful things in the, in the preaching of the gospel and the extending of the kingdom of God. And one of those men was a man by the name of George Morley. He came originally from Germany, but in the 1800s, he arrived in the United Kingdom and he went to Bristol. And in those days, there had been a, a, um, a sickness that had really taken many people's lives and uh, a lot of children were left as orphans. And uh, through that um, particular event, he decided by faith to start an orphanage initially for girls and they took in nine girls into a house. Then they started another house for boys. But then over a period of time, they started to reach out into the community and they started to uh, actually house 2,400 orphans. That's what they were able to bring in. And they built this massive big complex and it was all done by faith, but his, his whole motto, his whole desire was to not only feed these kids at a high level, but also to clothe them well and to educate them to the highest degree. And so he was able to do that. He never, ever appealed for, for money, but uh, often people would sit down for the meal and he would say grace and then the meal, the food would arrive. Everything was just simply done by faith. And uh, towards the end of his life, I think it, he ministered right up to the age of 88, but then died, I think, at 92 years of age. Uh, but just before he died, someone said to him, you must have had an amazing gift of faith. Uh, and his answer was no. He said, I, I just had a seed of faith, but over my life I've been able to develop and it's grown year by year. And uh, this, it's increased so that I can reach out and I can believe for the supernatural touch of God. Amazing thing about George Muller, when he died, they estimate there was something like 250,000 people came to... to um, to just acknowledge his life, to celebrate his life in Bristol. And you take that without multimedia that we have today, 250,000 people lining the streets because he was honoured because of his faith, but because of the, the legacy that he had left and touched in many, many people's lives. And it's just so important in our life that we see that faith is something that God wants to, uh, us to grow in. It's something we develop. Many people jump out and go too far too quick, but when we allow our faith to grow and develop, we're able to achieve great things for God. And the Bible just actually talks about without faith, it is impossible to please God. It doesn't say without love, but it does say without faith. And today we're on this amazing journey and I really encourage you to just really enter in and just allow the Spirit of God to touch you. Because as we come into 2021, I believe it's so important that we can connect with God in a new way and we begin to apprehend His purposes for our life. We don't lose sight of the promises He's given us, but we're able to take those steps of faith that are able to project us into the things that God has for our life.
The biblical character that I want to talk about a little more than uh, than I did George Muller, his name is Thomas. And the moment you say Thomas, people always think of doubting Thomas. Today, I believe as we come through this, uh, this message, you will no longer call him doubting Thomas. Because when you look at Thomas's life, there was a moment of doubt. But really, when you look at it, and I tell you his story, you will see that he was probably one of the apostles of Jesus who really did adventure uh, right out the furthest of any of them. And his legacy is still celebrated today. One of the things that I've had the privilege of doing is actually going to India just about every year, apart from this year, for the last 20 years. And uh, if you go to a, a city in the southern part of India called Chennai, they love to take you to a church where they acknowledge Thomas's uh, memorial. I think he is buried in a cemetery somewhere in Chennai. But they celebrate the, the, this Apostle Thomas because he was the one who brought the gospel of Jesus Christ to southern India 2,000 years ago. And when you look at it, uh, that's the strongest uh, con concentration of Christians is in the southern part of India. And then you go right down to the southern southern tip of India on the west coast, they'll take you to a place in Kerala where they say, this is where Thomas arrived 2,000 years ago. They virtually can take you to the beach where his, uh, his, his ship would have arrived 2,000 years ago. And you often think of that. Here's this man that we highlight and we always call him Doubting Thomas, or if someone's a doubter, they'll be labelled Doubting Thomas. But really, that's a, that's a, that's a, a, a sad thing to say because Thomas actually was the one who brought the gospel of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God into India, into a heathen nation. And today we, they still celebrate his legacy, what he did, an amazing achievement. And so today I just want to take you through the story of Thomas because even though there was a moment of doubt, he was able to deal with that doubt. He never let the doubt condemn him, but he allowed God to position his heart so that he could achieve uh, an amazing, achieve a, a, a great lot and leave an amazing legacy. And uh, I want you to read with me the story of Thomas found in John chapter 20 and verses 24 to 31. And uh, there were just a couple of phrases that I want to highlight in this passage of Scripture. And I'll tell you those phrases. It just says, Thomas called the twin. And I, I just want you to highlight that phrase there, uh, three words, called the twin. One of the 12 was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see his hands and the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, Thomas with them, and Jesus came, the door being shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace to you. So two phrases, Thomas called the twin, and Jesus' response, Peace be to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and put your, uh, reach your 
hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, this is the response of a a man who's encountered uh, the, the resurrected power of Christ, my Lord and my God. And so we see here, Thomas has this amazing encounter. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that's just a very significant encounter uh, that Thomas had, which dealt with this unbelief. And I often think in the story that Jesus came, he uh came to the the disciples the first time, Thomas wasn't in the room. And I'm sure that perhaps if we could project out, Thomas was feeling really offended. He was feeling rejected. He was feeling upset because he had believed and put his whole trust into this person, Jesus Christ. And somehow he felt that everything had collapsed. Everything had dropped to the ground and there was no hope. And so he was in this place where doubt just really crept in and it just took hold of his heart and he was agonising. And so he wasn't in that first encounter where they were present. I think he was home or he was somewhere where he is feeling dejected and he was upset. And as I said, doubt was able to creep in and take hold of his heart. So there was this moment of doubt in Thomas's life. I often think that uh, Jesus came back again the second time. They were all together, all the, all the apostles, the disciples. But I actually think and believe that He came back for Thomas because if He could just make an adjustment in Thomas's life, I believe that Jesus was able, because He's all-knowing, He was able to see India. If He could get this man's heart and He could release him from the doubt and He could release him from the fears and the rejection and the hopelessness that had crept in, God was able to encounter him and He was able to reach into the very depth of his heart. Uh, God was able to release this man to go on this adventure and to leave this incredible legacy in India. And so today what I want to do is just talk about these two phrases, Thomas called the twin. Uh, I have a um, friend in America, uh, his name's Pat Sparrow, and um, in a moment I'm going to get Austin to come up on stage. He's part of the Central Coast Church. Um, but one, one thing I've uh, had the joy of getting to know Pat, and Pat has a brother, his name is Mike, and they're identical twins. And when you meet them, they are identical. You often see them come to a a function and they even sometimes just put the same shirt on. They dress the same. It's just uh, these guys, you know, look the same, often dress the same. Uh, The only way that I can probably tell the difference in the room, number one is they have different personalities, but I think... Pat might be slightly fatter than Mike. And so uh, that's how I often tell the difference between the two. But yet they have two person, different personalities. And so I'm going to get Austin to come up because I just want to highlight this uh, story, uh, this part here, the phrase where it just says, Thomas called the twin. This is my friend, um, Austin, he is from the Central Coast. Uh, he won't tell Pat that I just called him bigger than Mike or fatter than Mike, would you? You'd never do that. But it's, no, no. Um, but anyhow, um, 
it's called the twin. Now, I'm not sure whether, the Bible doesn't say whether Thomas had a twin. We could presume that he did. But the name Thomas actually means twin. And uh, I want to declare to you today that every one of us has a twin. We all have a twin. And uh, that twin is really what we struggle with in our life. And it just says, and I'll read before I illustrate this with Austin, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 26, just says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And it goes on and illustrates what are some of the works of the flesh. It just says the works of the flesh are evident. They are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that these those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a pretty powerful phrase. But then it goes on, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kind, um, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And it uses the term self-control, the last fruit of the Spirit. And such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desire. And why I've got Austin up here is because I want to just illustrate today the twin is the flesh, but I'm going to allow him to be the spirit and I'm going to be the, the flesh. And what I want Austin to do is just put his hand like that. Because in life, as we walk in life, all of us have this struggle inside of us. And it's very biblical. Paul writes about it. He said there's a struggle internally. Now, because I'm the flesh, I want you, Austin, just to put a little bit of pressure on. But I... It's almost like there's a tug of war where God is really working in our humanity to pull us off balance so that we actually know what is right, but we don't do what is right because there's this the influence of the flesh in our heart. And it's trying to pull us off balance. It's trying to pull us away from what God wants in our life. For Thomas, that was doubt. That was fear. Those were the things that had really crept into his life and were now trying to take control. But if we go the other way, it doesn't pull. The Spirit never coerces. It never forces. It only asks us to surrender. And when we surrender to the Spirit of God, what happens is we experience the fruit of what God wants in our life. Love, joy, peace. The, the, the flesh can never do that. It can only ever uh, pull us off balance and pull us away from God's perfection, what God wants. So that then inside all of us, every single person, there's this twin operating, but they have different personalities. They're not the same. And we all struggle with it. Every single person that's been born struggles. Every Christian still struggles in their humanity and is always trying to pull us off balance. And sometimes we give in and we just go with it because oh, we think, 
like, ah, oh, no, no, I, I, I've just given to it. And we get called off balance. But what God is looking for is the people who will actually destroy these cravings. Thanks very much, Austin, for helping me. These cravings of the flesh and will actually yield to the Spirit of God because when they yield to the Spirit of God, they're able to achieve something of the peace of God. And I believe that Christians need to understand because Christianity is not really just about uh, having this assurance of eternal life. It's about experiences, Paul wrote here, the kingdom of God now, the blessings of living in the kingdom of God. And it's yielding to the Spirit of God, giving away to those cravings, those desires of the flesh, which are constantly working to pull us off balance. And I believe that this is what was really happening in Thomas's life. He had been pulled off balance, doubt had crept in, fear had crept in. He felt rejected. He felt offended. He felt hopeless. All these things got into his life. And it was a moment. It never defined his future because actually if you look at what defined his future was his legacy left in India. So it never defined him. So we, we should never call him Doubting Thomas or someone doubts, don't call him Doubting Thomas because every single one of us will go through a point in our life where we will doubt. Sometimes we will fear, but God wants us to deal with those forces, those pulls in our life so that we are able to surrender to the peace of God and to the love of God. And what we learn from this story is Jesus comes back again. It's almost like He enters the room. When he comes into the room, he came, I believe, for Thomas. And the amazing thing is when Jesus comes to us in our point of need, Jesus never comes to condemn. And that's why I wanted you to, I wanted to highlight the phrase, peace to you. Because Jesus didn't enter the room and say to Thomas, Thomas, why weren't you here? Why were you sulking at home? He didn't come and condemn him. He walked in the room and He said, peace to you. Because Jesus never comes to condemn. He comes to bring life. He comes to bring hope. He comes to resurrect us. He comes to lift us up out of the miry clay. He never comes to push us down. And that's why the, this story is, uh, uh, for me is powerful because whenever we go through an incident in our life, God is always wanting to lift us up. He's wanting to bring us to a place of renewal and He will enter our life and He'll just say, stop for a moment, peace to you. And wherever you are right now, it doesn't matter what predicament you're in, on behalf of Jesus, I say peace to you. Because when the peace of God comes, we are able to confront the areas in our life that have been the struggle, the areas that have really sought to pull us off balance so that we lose the hope and the direction that God wants to bring. So Jesus comes into the room. He didn't focus on the other disciples this time. He just focused on one man. His name was Thomas. And Thomas acknowledged when he saw Jesus, Wow, Jesus, you have overcome the power of death. You are alive. I didn't accept what my, my, my colleagues said, but I see now the holes in your hand. I see the scar on the side. I see you are a resurrected Lord. You're a King. And He cries out, my Lord and my God. There was just something of this amazing yieldedness and surrendered to the King of Kings. That encounter, I believe, is what defines defined Thomas. He was not defined by his doubt. He was defined by this moment of encounter. 
I remember in the, when I first started in ministry, I was in Wanganui and uh, I went to my office. It was just a very plain office in Victoria Ave. And I walked into the room and I sat in a chair. And uh, I, as I sat, uh, just the presence of God became incredibly real, the presence of Jesus. I didn't have an experience like Thomas where he saw Jesus, but I knew Jesus was present. And uh, I'm not sure the exact time, but I know it was well over one hour. I just got into this conversation with Jesus, the Spirit of God, where I talked and God started to speak into my life. He started to show me things, promises. He started to show me areas that He, he wanted me to, to grow and to, to, to develop and, and all, almost speaking into many of the things that we've accomplished through equippers. God didn't call it equippers, uh, Jesus didn't call it equippers then, but He started to highlight what He wanted to do in and through my life. And it was an encounter that transformed something within my life. It was like uh, George Muller, it was like a seed that dropped into my heart and God was able, being able to develop. It was like what God did in Thomas's life. In this room, God was able to place something in his heart, a promise in his life that was able to allow him to go on this faith adventure and land in India and go into a heathen culture and preach the gospel. And so that today, 2,000 years on, people are still celebrating the life of Thomas because of the legacy he left. And so today, I believe it's so important that we just come to this point where we let the peace of Jesus come into our life, come into our room, wherever you are right now. Just let the peace of God, whether you're together in church or you're together with people in your home, just let the peace of God come into your room. Don't allow oppression, don't allow offences, don't allow doubt, don't allow discouragement, don't allow these things to define your future. Because by faith, when we let the power of God touch our humanity, we have this encounter with God. God is able to place something in our heart that ultimately gives us our future. It's what defines our future. And I pray today that the Holy Spirit would just make that shift in your life. When you look at the fruit of the Spirit, this, this area that God is looking for us to yield to, you look at just the words that, uh, that um, Paul speaks of, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Most people like to always talk about the love, the joy, the peace, but they often miss out this word at the, the letter, the last part, the ninth fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control. And self-control is really a fruit of the Spirit. When you yield to God, when you yield to the Holy Spirit, God empowers you to control your life. The Word of God says in Matthew chapter 28, it says in the Great Commission of Jesus, go into all the world and make disciples. He didn't just say followers. He, he said disciples. He didn't say make Christians. He said, no, make disciples. And to define a disciple as a disciplined one. So part of our Christian journey is actually to bring our life in discipline to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's about controlling our world. It's about surrendering 
surrendering to the Spirit of God. God does not come and coerce us or push us. He's asking us to yield. He's asking us to give away our rights. He's asking us to do what He requires us to do. He will never coerce. He will never force. He will never do what the flesh does. The flesh is always trying to pull you off balance. It's trying to pull you into an area where you disqualified and it's trying to define you by areas that we don't want to be defined by like Thomas. He didn't want to be defined by doubt. He wanted to be defined and he was defined by the legacy he left. And I believe today we need to spell out a wee bit more that the Christian life is about self-control. It's about being a disciplined one. Yeah, the love of God is powerful. The joy of the Spirit of God is powerful. We all encounter that. I remember uh, going back some years ago, I was really struggling, probably in a same predicament as, as Thomas. I can't identify, uh, say I'm like Thomas, but anyhow, I was discouraged. I felt hurt. I was in a vulnerable place and I was praying one morning and bringing my hurt, my pain to Jesus. And, uh, and I, I, I've always thought, you know, Jesus, His counsel is different to the world's counsel or even the way people are taught to counsel. I always have now discovered that Jesus is actually more ruthless than we think because uh, I was uh, bringing my pain, agony, thinking that he would, uh, uh, in a way he understood, but he'd be more sympathetic to my pain. And uh, I was just in this moment where the Spirit of God was real. He'd come into my life. He wasn't condemning, but he just spoke in a very calm, gentle way. He just said, Bruce, Dead men don't hurt. Dead men don't hurt. And I knew exactly what he meant. He just said, you're yielding to the flesh. But when you have crucified the flesh with me, died to it, you can't hurt. You've let something creep into your life that shouldn't be there and it's bringing pain to you. But when you actually put that on the cross, you die, you yield it over to me. What I do is I now replace it with my love, my joy, my peace, my forgiveness. I remember at the moment getting on my knees and just crying out to God and just saying, Jesus, I forgive you. I allow that hurt to go on the cross. Even though I could justify it, I allow it to go on the cross. I die, I choose to die to that part of my life. And today uh, in that environment, as I prayed, I yield to your spirit. I yield to the work of your grace in my life so that I can become everything that you've called me to be. And that's a process but it became an important moment. Bruce, dead men don't hurt. He came with peace. He said, peace to you. But what he did was he never came and condemned. He came with this wonderful gift of grace that was able to help me to say, the flesh cannot control your future. Put it on the cross with me. For those who have been crucified with me, no longer they that liveth, but Christ that lives in them. The power of Jesus to yield to. And that's the, the journey of our, uh, the Christian is to, to live in this place where by faith, 
we overcome the power of the areas in our life that seek to, to disqualify, pull us away from the blessings of God. And so today, wherever you are, I believe God is wanting to bring you to a point where God, the Spirit of God is able just to come where you are right now into your room, the room of your life, And on behalf of our Lord Jesus Christ, I I declare peace to you. He acknowledges the struggle in your humanity. He knows that there is another nature that's working against the nature that God has brought to your life because you're now a born again believer. He acknowledges that. But today, peace to you. And as you're able to, just like Thomas, just stop for a moment, and celebrate the resurrected power of Jesus. My Lord and my God, you're able to celebrate this intimacy that Jesus brings to your life. You're able to kneel just in His presence or just stand or wherever you are, let the presence of God touch you. I believe that your future will not be defined by negative. It will be defined by what Jesus sees for you on the other side of this encounter. And I believe 2020, I would say, has been an encounter year where God is, through COVID, not wanting us to be bowed down with the negativity of the world around us, but He's wanting us to come and allow ourselves to be defined through by Him, by the power of His love, by the power of His resurrection, by the power of His goodness. And as we do that, God is able to speak into our heart. And I right now prophesy, I believe there's people who are listening to me right now where the Spirit of God is right reaching into the very depth of your humanity and uh, God is wanting to define you afresh. Where God, I believe, is even now as I speak, birthing new things into your heart. He's speaking about new possibilities. He right now, I believe, is speaking to different people about the possibility of becoming leaders and pastors and churches, starting cell groups. I prophesy and declare there's men and women here that God is wanting you to reach out and begin to go on the adventure of developing businesses. God wants people in this room to be ignited by the flame of God and go into the world and begin to minister in social justice because of the encounter of Jesus, not just because what the mind says, but what Jesus is calling you to do. And so today, I believe this message is a a very powerful message. It will help to define what God has for you in the end rather than where you currently are. Never let your current environment define you because Thomas sadly was defined by a moment, but no one's often telling the story of what became his greatest legacy. India, the southern part of India, multitudes, thousands upon thousands, probably millions upon millions of people have come to Christ because of the obedience of this one man taking the gospel of Jesus Christ into into that nation. And so today, I believe that the Holy Spirit is wanting just to captivate your heart and take you on this journey of faith, by faith, by faith, I believe, by faith, I believe, by faith, I believe.
And right now I prophesy, I speak that into your life. And wherever you are, you might just like to stop for a moment. Just open your heart as I pray and we come to a conclusion. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Saviour and Lord, this is why we give our heart to Jesus. Because not only is the Kingdom of God the assurance of eternity, but it's about the Kingdom of God becoming a reality now so that we can deal with some of the things that really are misfits in our life where they're pulled off balance. And so right now, if you've never uh, reached out and, and prayed this prayer, you might just like to pray it now with me. Lord Jesus, today I declare, I believe that You are Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of the living God, that You overcame the power of death. You overcame the power of sin that You are a resurrected Lord. And today I acknowledge You and I receive You into my life that I would be born again of the Spirit of God, that I might become a brand new man and that the seed of faith would help to build and define my future. I give my heart to You today in Jesus' Name. And for the rest of us right now, in Jesus' Name, we know every one of us has a struggle inside where the twin natures are trying to work against what God has. And today in in Jesus' Name, we just right now yield to You, Spirit of God, that You might be able to help us to deal with some of the things that we've struggled with. And right now I present just the power of His anointing and the power of Jesus to transform. So we declare, Jesus, that You are our Lord, You are our God. Today, we choose to surrender. We choose to allow the spirit of self-control to develop our life so that that we can enter into everything You have in Jesus' Name. So God bless you wherever you are. May the blessing of Jesus rest upon you. May His grace be real to you. May His face shine upon you. May the something of His countenance rest upon you. And may He give you peace. God bless you.